We begin with a little story from the Christian reader, and the author who writes, writes about her little four-year-old. Story goes, my four-year-old was standing on a kitchen chair, pulled close to the wall, intensely staring at that familiar Our Daily Bread painting of the older man who's praying over a small loaf of bread. What are you doing, honey? I asked. Looking, she said with a catch in her voice. Noticing tears under her dark lashes, I probed deeper. What are you thinking, honey? With a heartfelt sigh, she replied, He doesn't have any peanut butter. You thought I was going to be living serious, didn't you? Well, when Jesus does a meal, he does it right. There are no shortages when it comes to the meals that Jesus whips up. Well, this morning we are joining Jesus on the hillsides of Galilee as he once again feeds a humongous crowd of people. Well, today we want to take a look at the miracle called the feeding of the four thousand. Please join me in Matthew chapter 15 as we take a look and read through the scripture passage that has that miracle for us. Matthew chapter 15, we begin reading in verse 29. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on the mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and Jesus healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry, or they may collapse on the way. His disciples answered, Where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish And when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was 4,000 besides women and children. After Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got into the boat and went to the vicinity of Magadan. Here ends the reading of our story this morning. As you read through this particular miracle, it's easy to see that there is a very close resemblance to the miracle that just happened a few chapters prior to this one, and that was the feeding of the 5,000. In fact, last week we spent some time diving into that miracle, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And so we see some resemblances here between 
the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. In fact, a number of the Bible scholars that study this passage, as well as Bible students, they will challenge the authenticity of this particular miracle. They will argue that this miracle is a repeat of the 5,000 with just a few of the details being kind of tweaked and altered. So how should we understand this miracle? That's our question. Is this a retelling of the miracle called the 5,000? Or is this a distinct and different miracle that Jesus performed? How should we answer that? Well, in answering that question, I want you to take a look at a chart that I have provided and in that chart, you will have this miracle compared with the miracle, not only the 5,000, but the miracle of the 4,000. Here's the comparison. So let's just kind of look at these two miracles. And again, our question is, is this the same miracle as the, miracle, the feeding of the 4,000, the same miracle as the 5,000? Well, as we look at them and compare them, first of all, beginning with the feeding of the 5,000, the audience of the 5,000 were primarily Jewish in nature. Whereas when you come to the feeding of the 4,000, the audience are primarily Gentiles. The feeding of the 5,000 took place at a little town called Bethsaida. And here with the feeding of the 4,000, they tell us it took place in the Decapolis. That's uh, about a region of 10 towns. The meal at that time with the 5,000, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Here with the feeding of the 4,000, it's seven loaves of bread. And it says, a few fish. Regarding the leftovers, the disciples gathered 12 baskets after feeding the 5,000, whereas with the 4,000, seven baskets were collected. The audience that was there on that day uh, was there for only one day when it came to the 5,000, but they were with Jesus for three days when he performed the miracle of the 4,000. The scholars tell us that the feeding of the 5,000 took place in the spring because if you go to the book of Mark, you'll see that Jesus had them sit down on green grass, so they conclude that it happened in the spring, whereas with the 4,000, it took place during the summer. And after feeding of the 5,000, if you look at the book, book of John, you see that the people were going to seize Jesus, grab him, and make him their king at that time. Whereas when you come to the feeding of the 4,000, there is no popular response at that time. They just took it as a face value of a miracle where Jesus took care of their needs. So you see the comparison there. And as you look at the chart and make the comparison, it seems like there are probably different miracles. However, the evidence that really states that this is a different miracle are Jesus' words. And I want you to take a look at that. We're in Matthew chapter 16. And uh, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus instructs the disciples to be careful regarding the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And Jesus said it like this. Here's what he said to his disciples. He said, disciples, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, the word that is used here that's translated yeast is referring to the teaching, okay? So Jesus says, you know, be on alert, be on your guard against the yeast or the teaching of the Pharisees that they were propagating at that time. Of course, when the disciples heard the word yeast, their mind went to bread. 
because it wasn't just too long ago that the disciples saw that wonderful miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And so when they heard yeast, they thought bread. And they began to murmur among themselves saying, okay, Jesus wants some more bread. Where in the world are we going to get this bread? We should have thought ahead, okay? Should have thought ahead. Well, Jesus knows what they're thinking, and so he addresses them, and here are his words. He says to the disciples, You of little faith, why are you thinking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or how about the seven loaves for the 4,000? And how many basketfuls were gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? But be on your guard against the yeast, the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. But did you hear Jesus' words? First he says, guys, don't you remember the feeding of the 5,000? And then he follows, Jesus follows that comment with, and also, don't you remember the feeding of the 4,000? And how many baskets we picked up? So what we see taking place in Jesus' mind and in his eyes, this is a completely different miracle. So this idea of that 5,000, the feeding of the 5,000, is being repeated and tweaked has been debunked because Jesus himself says, this was a legitimate miracle that I performed. So we have two miracles taking place, one regarding feeding the 5,000, and then we have another one taking place regarding feeding of the four. So we have two miracles taking place. So let me ask this question. What can we learn from this miracle? So we have a miracle taking place. Jesus feeds 4,000 men, plus we have the women and children, so there's a lot of people being fed. What can we learn from this miracle? I'd like to share with you this morning three lessons that we learn regarding your faith. All right? Three lessons regarding your faith in God. And it comes from our story, the feeding of the 4,000. So, follow along with me. The first lesson that we learn is this. A powerful faith may not understand everything. Okay, let me say that again. A powerful faith may not understand everything. I'm guessing in your faith, you do not understand everything that God does. I doubt the folks who brought the lame, remember they came to Jesus, the crowd, they brought their lame, they brought the crippled, they brought the blind, as well as the mute. They didn't understand how Jesus was going to heal them. This was mind-boggling. How is Jesus going to heal this crippled who's deformed? How is Jesus going to heal this blind individual who, who couldn't see? How? They just didn't know. They just didn't understand. But they accepted and they rejoiced over what Jesus truly did. He truly did. I'm reminded of the blind man, the story of the blind man in John chapter 9, who was healed by Jesus. Uh, In this particular story, um, this, this this particular person, he was born blind, okay? From the very beginning, he was born blind. And then Jesus steps into his life and he heals this man. And of course, the teachers of that day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they couldn't believe it. 
They couldn't believe it, that Jesus would heal this guy or that he did heal this guy. In fact, they had doubts as to whether this was the person that was blind from birth. And so they bring him in, and they question him, kind of an interrogation taking place. And they say to him, are you the blind man who was healed by this Jesus character? And of course, he responds, and he says, well, yes, I am. Well, how did Jesus do this? What was his secret? What was his recipe? And the blind man responds by saying, you know, I don't know. All I know is this. Once I was blind, but now I see. That was his response. He was saying to these religious leaders, you know, I have no idea how he healed my eyes and he restored my sight. I have no idea how he did it. All I know is this. He did it. He did it. You see, faith does not understand everything. Your faith does not understand everything. You see, God's Word contains things that I don't understand. For example, how God could exist in three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is beyond my understanding. But I believe it. Or, you know, how God can choose somebody to salvation, reach out and grab them, pull them and rescue them, redeem them. You know, that's God's working. How He can do that and yet permit and allow for free will to be involved, I don't get it. I don't understand it. But you know what? I believe it and I accept it. You see, powerful faith may not understand everything, and that's okay. You may not understand everything, and that's all right. That's all right. A powerful faith need not understand everything to be powerful. Lesson number two regarding your faith. A powerful faith is not always without doubt. A powerful faith is not always without doubt. Well, this multitude that followed Jesus, carrying their lame, their crippled, and their blind, they, you can bet they experienced doubt. They had doubt. And this is how their doubt, I think, was manifested. They had a big question. They entertained this question. And their question was this. When they brought their lame, their crippled, the blind, their question was this. Would Jesus heal my family or heal my friend? Would Jesus do this? See the doubt? They had doubt. Would Jesus do this? Now, I want you to notice something. They don't have doubt about God. They don't have doubt regarding Jesus. They don't have doubt regarding God Himself. They truly believe that God can do something. They truly believe that Jesus can restore and heal and cure. They believe it. God can heal. But their question is this. This is their question as they come to Jesus. Will Jesus heal my cousin? Will Jesus heal my wife or, or my husband? Will Jesus heal my child? You see, within that question is, is this, this feeling or this, this attitude. Who am I that God should do this for me? 
You see, they're convinced that God and Jesus, they can, he can heal. That's why they're bringing the sick. That's why they're bringing the blind. They know that Jesus, he can do it. But where the doubt kicks in is, do I have a right, really, to ask God for this miracle? I mean, who am I that God should step into my life and perform this miracle? They had a little doubt, but they responded. In Mark chapter 9, we have a similar story about a boy who was demon-possessed. And because of this demon, the boy could not speak. And also, uh, this demon would frequently cause uh, seizures within this boy. And so the father of this boy that had this demon brought him to the disciples and asked the disciples to do some kind of a miracle and cast the demon out and bring healing. But the disciples were un unable to deal with the evil spirit. And so since the, boy, since the disciples couldn't do it, the father's son brought his boy to Jesus. And the father says to Jesus, and this is in Mark chapter 9, If you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. To paraphrase, this father said, I believe God can do anything, but at times my faith is weak and I doubt. Help me. Help me overcome my unbelief. You see, a powerful faith is not always without doubt. You doubt sometimes, don't you? I do. But that doesn't necessarily mean that our faith is now void and useless. It's okay to have a little bit of doubt. Or for that matter, a lot of doubt. It's responding, how you respond that's important. You know, if we go on to Scripture, we go to uh, Matthew chapter 17. It says, if you have faith as small as a, what is that? Mustard seed. Mustard seed. Dinky. Dinky, dinky. But if you have faith as small as a mustard seed... And you say to this mountain, move from here to there, it will move. So, you know, it's okay to have doubt. You know, you may, you may be, your ratio might be 80% doubt, or excuse me, 80%, yeah, 80%, nah, I'm, I'm goofing it all up, am I? Let's just do it this way. You might have a little tiny faith, okay, not much. But yet, if you will use the little tiny bit, great things will happen. Does that make sense? Are you with me on that? Faith is small as a mustard seed. You don't have to have big faith. I mean, you can have a lot of doubt. But that little part that's not doubting, if you will just tap into it and capitalize on it, good things will happen. That's what God says. So, powerful faith is not always without doubt. And number three, here's your third lesson regarding your faith. A powerful faith is focused on Jesus. A powerful faith is focused on Jesus. Now, our story told us that when this crowd came and assembled with Jesus, they were there for how many days? Do you remember? The feeding of the 5,000, they were there for one day. The feeding of the 4,000, they had gathered for three days. Okay? Three days, they hung out with Jesus. They didn't want to go home. 
What is it that kept them there? What was it that captivated this crowd so that they focused and hung on every word that Jesus spoke? What was it? Well, here it is. They saw their faith being confirmed. They saw their faith being confirmed. They're there because of Jesus. They heard great things, and so they showed up. And they didn't want to depart because great things were happening. Their faith was being confirmed. Their belief in Jesus was being verified. They discovered that their faith was not empty and powerless because the object of their faith was powerful. One's faith is only as good as the object of their faith. Okay, are you following me on that? Your faith is only as good as the object of your faith. So if you have all your faith in your spouse, guess what? Something's going to happen. I mean, not, they're just human, right? They're, they're not perfect, so they're going to let you down. That's what I'm telling you. So if you have your faith in your spouse, you're going to fall short. If you have your faith in your refrigerator, not going to go too far, right? So the, the ob, your faith is, is only as good as the object of your faith. So we must have our faith in the one that can heal the lame, heal the cripple, make the blind see, and help the deaf to hear. That's where our faith must lie. Here's what Hebrews 12.2 says. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Your faith. So from this particular miracle, the feeding of the 4,000, we learn wonderful lessons regarding faith, and in particular, our faith. Number one, you don't have to understand everything. You can still have a powerful faith. Number two, it's okay to have some doubt when it comes to faith. You just got to operate on that little piece that's hanging in there that is trusting. And last of all, your faith is only going to be as good as your object. And what is our object to be? The one who died, who was buried, and who came back to life again, Jesus Christ. We celebrated that, didn't we, together? That's where our faith must lie. And when our faith is in the Christ, the Messiah, our Redeemer, the one who rescued us, we will not be put to shame. We will not be put to shame. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, once again, thank you for the lessons that we can draw from your word. The Bible touches all areas of our life. Today we are encouraged regarding our faith. We don't have to be 100%. If doubt exists, it's okay. We don't have to understand everything to make sense. We can accept it and believe it because of faith. And Lord, we've also learned that our faith is only as good as the object of our faith. Lord, today, if need be, we make the change and make you the center, the focus of our faith. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.